Welcome to the Trauma Tapes. I'm Dr. MC McDonald, a PhD trauma researcher, author, and life coach. I'm here with my sister, Elizabeth Meadows. On this podcast, we read your letters, give you advice, and help you heal without shame. Before we get into this week's episode, I have a really exciting announcement. I wrote a book. It's called Unbroken, The Trauma Response is Never Wrong, and it is available for pre-order right now. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, any of your indie bookstores, wherever you buy books. It's about trauma, the trauma response, shame, and how to heal. I can't wait for you to read it, and I can't wait to hear what you think. This is going to come out on the day that the book comes out. Can you believe it? Dun, dun, dun. Can you believe it? What a hilarious process. No. Yes and no. I mean, it's funny. Like the book publishing process, if you've never done it, is hilarious because you sign a con- like I signed a contract in 2020. Yeah, yeah, right. in 2020. Yeah, and wrote a big chunk of the book. I had written a, a big chunk of the book already, and then I wrote the rest of it in the beginning of 2021, and then and now it's 2023. <laughs> and here you are, and it's coming out on Tuesday. Yeah. yeah, on Tuesday. Yep. Do you feel like it's like something like you? Do you feel like removed from it, or do you feel like it's? I mean, yes and no. And in, in like good ways and bad, like it, because so the the book is called Unbroken. The trauma response is never wrong. And obviously it's about trauma, which is what, you know, kind of my whole jam and, and, and kind of redefining trauma and how we work with it. And it's uh the layout of the book is really interesting. It's client stories and then, you know, science and information and then tools. And that is very much like what I do kind of all day, every day with clients and in class and stuff like that. Um, so in that way, I don't feel removed from it, but I wrote it so long ago that, you know, I've been looking at it to figure out what parts to do for readings and stuff like that. And I'm like, oh, that's a nice sentence. Yeah, I did that. That's mine. Oh, wow. (laughs) Or I did that and then it got edited 48 times or whatever. Um, so it's like, it feels distant, but not, not in a bad way. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like you never, like, I hear sometimes from authors that they like write a book and then they have to go like somewhere and kind of like disconnect and like mm-hmm. the book is out of them in a way, like they mm-hmm. gave birth to the book. And and I don't, I don't think you ever had that opportunity to kind of, because it is like, it's mm-hmm. not like you told one story and then the story was over and then you, right. you know what I mean? You yeah, are so immersed in this work yeah. that mm-hmm. it's, um, totally. you, know, that, you know what I mean? It, it's, yeah. it, it's like, there's no beginning and end. Totally. And the, the funny thing is like when you write something in academia, I've written um, two books in that were published on academic presses and, and you know, something like 18 papers and, and things like that. And in academia, you write something and then you are immediately writing your next thing. And right. nobody ever talks like you might go to a conference and like give a paper or two. Usually you're doing that while you're doing the writing. It's not afterwards. And then you're like done. So it's like the equivalent of like taking what you wrote, putting it in a trash can and then going and doing something else to the point where like when people have brought up to me stuff that I have done, I have no memory of it. Wow. Cause you get so like, you just like write the thing, move on to the next thing, write the thing, move on yeah. to the next thing. And so yeah. this is really weird. Cause it's like, you write the thing and then you talk about it for 47 years. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I don't, it's just, it's just different. So the academia thing is like, kind of like a rat race in a way that you write the thing totally. and then you have to like move on and write the next yeah, totally. thing. Cause they're like yeah. shooting at your feet and you're, they're like dance monkey <laughs> dance. And you're like, fuck, I gotta do another thing. I gotta get a grant. I gotta right. And right. no one, it's, it all happens in, in a bubble, like a, maybe three people read what you, what you wrote, like, yeah, and that's it. 
So yeah. it's it's a very different process. That's so, so interesting. I, I feel it's very so much like I'm, you have both, you know. Yeah, yeah, but I feel very much like I've never written anything before. But also like I have written lots of things before. So it's kind of funny. But not in this like form in a way. Not yeah. for public consumption. Totally. Yeah. Right. Interesting. Yeah, which is one of the reasons that academia is broken. We can come back to that. Yeah, we're going to. That'll that'll be a future podcast. Oh yeah. We got plans. Uh, yeah, we do. We have lots to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Whether or not you want to listen is the question. <laughs> do you uh want to read a little bit with that? I do actually. So there's a little tiny section that I want to read that the subtitle is letting go of shame. So it ties in really beautifully with what we've been talking about all season at the trauma tape. Ready? Ready. This is only a, this is only a page. It's not long. Understanding the biological script that begins when a traumatic event happens and continues when a traumatic event is remembered is critical for healing. It is much harder to feel toxic shame for something that is rooted in your biology. If you got a migraine in the middle of a date, you might feel really irritated, inconvenienced, and embarrassed even. You might wonder if you show your bodily vulnerability too early, your date will decide you are too high maintenance to go out with again. None of this is pleasant, but it's also not soul crushing. At some point, even amidst all the worry, you would come to understand that migraines are simply a part of your neurobiology. The way that we absorb and respond to overwhelming traumatic events is also a part of our neurobiology not a flaw in it. The fact that we can respond to the overwhelm of traumatic events in the way that we do is miraculous, life-saving, and proof of strength and adaptability, not a sign of weakness. Please remember this. It's important. The trauma response is rooted in strength, not weakness. The trauma response keeps us alive. Without it, we would not exist. It is rooted in strength and the human drive to survive. So when we shame ourselves and others for suffering because of it, we are shaming ourselves for being human. Trauma has become entangled with shame and shame being both metastatic and highly contagious must be avoided at all cost. So instead of teaching people how to cope with traumatic experiences, we pretend that it is possible to avoid them or to sail through them unscathed. We do not teach coping strategies because we view mental health as the norm and mental illness as the aberration. As if any response to a traumatic experience is a kind of moral failing. That shame only makes it that much harder to address the after effects of the trauma response, which admittedly can be challenging. We are getting in our own way over and over and over again. If we can digest just a little bit of the neurobiology of our trauma response, we can combat some of this shame as individuals and as a society. We can counter the great societal lie that says experiencing a trauma response long after an overwhelming event is a sign of weakness, failure, or dysfunction. This is imperative because our broken understanding of trauma isn't just bad science. It, it is preventing people from healing. Ta-da. Wow. That's amazing. Ta-da. So it's related to shame, you know? Yeah, absolutely. We, if we don't, it, it's, it's funny, like the, the societal narrative and the scientific narrative are very different. And I think we get this idea that because we have access to science through the internet in a way that we didn't 30 years ago, that they're the same. But we in our societal narrative are taking in all this bad science and using it to pile on shame when the science has well caught up with reality and knows that the trauma response is adaptive and important and necessary and also what to do about it when it gets out of control. So we just right. need the societal narrative to catch up 
then we can get rid of the shame, then we can heal. Right. And it changes the whole conversation. It changes the, you know, mm-hmm. we've talked about this in the last couple of episodes, but like, this is, it's a journey. It's not, you know, something you excise and you cut out. It's not like a cancerous mm-hmm. cell. It's like, it's part mm-hmm. of your story. It's part of who you are and you mm-hmm. learn to live with it and integrate it, you know, as you describe so beautifully mm-hmm. in the book. And it's um, not only do we not have to be ashamed of it. We have to embrace it. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally. Yeah. Yep. You know, yep. we don't treat medical ailments the, the same way that we physical medical ailments, mm-hmm. the same way we treat no, trauma no, or yeah. shame. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's no parity, right. even though we know that the biological impact of psychic issues is, is crushing. Right. right. So if, if you have shame, if you have trauma, if you have loneliness, there are impacts on your physical body. It's not like the things are separate. You know, we are in a right. unity. Right. It's huge. I think, I think your perspective is so refreshing and welcoming and um, it, it's a call to action. We, we really, we have to, we have mm-hmm. to change the way we think about this. Mm-hmm. We really do. We do. And I, and I think like in some, you know, being a researcher is interesting because you get, you kind of have your like finger on a, on the pulse in a different way of like where the thing is going. And mm-hmm. I, um, when I was writing the book, the, um, I got an email randomly at, at my university email address and I had been quoted in like National Geographic or something random talking about PTSD. And this very concerned researcher reached out to me in all seriousness and said, you know, PTSD isn't a thing you got to stop. Everything you've done, all of your research is wrong. What we now know is that the symptoms of PTSD all come from traumatic brain injury, which is so fascinating because if you look at the history of the study of trauma, that is where we started with shell shock in the 1920s. And shell shock was, so so the definition of trauma and the word for it and PTSD has changed a lot over the last 150 years. And we... In one of the early iterations, we thought that the symptoms came from concussive blasts. So shell shock was because you were essentially getting, you you were having these repeated head injuries. But then they started finding the symptoms in people who didn't have head injuries. So they got rid of that term. And now we're back. And it's like, what the hell? You know, and this was not like a, this wasn't just like a random Joe, you know, schmo on the street. Like this was like a researcher. Right. Who was trying to help by saying, like, listen, you got to stop studying what you're studying. We know the answer. He's wrong. That is wow. not true. Yes, it is true that traumatic brain injuries cause psychological issues a lot of the time, right. but PTSD right. is still real. Right. And of you course. can have it without having a concussion. Like, what in the hell? <sighs> we are all so quick to call each other out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think we're, we, we take advantage of like, or we take for granted the idea that we're making progress. And then we don't like, we're like, Oh, we're making progress though. Like people are like more people are talking about trauma though, which like, yes. And you know, are we talking about it in the right way? Right. And are we slipping back to old definitions, you know? Right. But yeah, no, people are so quick (laughs) to there's, there was an early review that I just actually looked at that someone was really angry that I didn't talk more about CPTSD. What is that? 
Um, so there's a clinical distinction, underlying italicized bold clinical distinction between simple and complex trauma. Simple trauma is just, uh, that's meant to refer to a traumatic event that that's singular and happens like you get in a car accident. That's one event you can point to. And complex trauma is trauma that reveals itself over the course of time. Um, and that could be in adulthood as like an abusive relationship or, um, going through a pandemic, or it could be developmental. So maybe you had neglect or abuse and, you know, from age zero to 18. And Stephanie Fu just wrote a beautiful, amazing book that came out called What My Bones Know, which is her memoir of being diagnosed with CPTSD. Now it's a clinical distinction. The reason that, the, that there's a distinction clinically is so they know which treatment path to send you down and in what order. For example, EMDR is a modality that works really well and is designed for simple trauma. And so if you have a car accident and you're struggling getting back in the car, they might do EMDR really quickly, like right away. Yeah. If you have complex trauma, they might say, okay, let's do psychotherapy. Let's do medication. Let's do these other three things. And then we'll see how those work. And then we'll add EMDR in later as an adjunctive to the other therapies. That's the reason that the, that the distinction exists. We get a hold of it in society and we use it to say, my trauma is bigger than yours. I'll never be healed. You'll never be healed. You know, all this crazy shit. And so I, I, there's actually a whole chapter about it in the book. I'm not sure if the person didn't read it or didn't or whatever, but um, there's a reason that I didn't spend the whole book talking about CPTSD. Like, it's not just right. like that I forgot, you know? People want to pick on the one thing, you know, the, the, like the one. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that's just, you know, unfortunately, the um, what we open ourselves up to when in, during the creative process, right? That that people yeah. like wheel in and think, okay, I'm gonna, yeah, annihilate this with mm -hmm. my one opinion, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, the sound bite. powerful, and I'm gonna take it down. Yeah, mm -hmm. right, right. Instead of be like, oh, this might have value for other people. Let's see if we can, you know. Right. Let's take a beat and like, let it sink in a little bit and, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, leave it there. You right. don't have to have an opinion. Right. Or if you, do, you don't you, have to you, weigh you, in, you can keep it to yourself. Right. You know? Yeah. So what you read that? the book. You're one of the very few people in the world who has read the book already. Yep. What was like your favorite thing about it? My favorite thing are the client stories. Cause you know, like I've been saying over and over and over again, I love hearing mm -hmm. someone's story and what, you know, when someone is willing to share, I think that just, I don't, I don't think there's anything more powerful than that, mm -hmm. you know? And I think the people who try to weigh in and judge someone's story, like need to be taken out at the knees. Like, you know, <laughs> that yeah. you're just, someone is being honest and, and mm -hmm. forthright and truthful at, you know, at that moment in time, mm -hmm. whatever that means at that moment in time. And mm -hmm. why can't you respect that? You know, mm -hmm. wh why can't you just listen? And so I loved the stories because I feel like they um, gave a little bit of a glimpse into what you do, even mm -hmm. though, you know, we spent a lot of time talking. I, I don't always know, you know, exactly what it is, you know, these conversations that you're having and how um, personal and powerful they are. So, you know, I, I, that was my favorite part. I also love the tools because I like, a, I like an assignment. Yeah. <laughs> I like homework. Everyone does. I or not everyone. Yeah. Lots of people do. Um, cause it's like, you can actually do something, you know, like, and I think a lot of the stuff that's out there right now doesn't focus on that. And so it's like, cool. You right. have all this, like you can read the body keeps score, which I love, but then what do you do? You know? Right. 
No, it's interesting because I, so, you know, I work in a field, I see clients all, you know, all week and I can't talk about them because they're, yeah. you know, it's confidential. And so when you write, so this, the client stories are composites, which means that there's pieces of, they're presented as if it's one person, but mm -hmm. there's pieces of other stories. So it's like a, you know, there, there are real stories, but it's not one person's story. And it's, uh, it's really kind of liberating in a way to be able to talk about them because it's a huge part of my life, but I don't talk about it, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, th and those, their stories impact me and, and help me understand and, and research and grow and rethink things, you know? Do you think that you were um, made for this work and that you are wired in a way that's hopeful? Yes. <laughs> because I think like, People sometimes will say, you know, why, how can you spend so much time? Cause I talk about trauma all day, every day, all the time. And yeah. I mean, I also have like other stuff in my life, but you know, that's, I've been focusing on this for a really long time and it's really dark and it's not like, you know, light work that you're doing with people, you know? Right. And, um, I, I've told the story a million times, but at my first <laughs> teaching job, my first full-time teaching job, they gave me the nickname, Dr. Sunshine as a sarcastic blow because I was studying grief, child loss, suicide, combat, and then like, you know, just PTSD in general. And they were like, oh, what are you going to do next, Dr. Sunshine? You know, but I think that I'm not afraid of that dark. There are darknesses I am afraid of, but that dark is a place where I feel really comfortable. And I do sort of naturally see a lot of hope and not in yeah. a not in a like a bypassy like oh no this is hopeful you're going to grow i think we have to be really careful around the conversations that we're having about post traumatic growth cuz it can get pasted over pain in a way that's right. really dismissive um but i think that we when we when things shatter we see them differently and that yeah. can be really life changing you know yeah it's such a you know on a very personal front like you know growing up with you or seeing you grow up because I'm older than you. Like it's, um, <laughs> uh -oh. Uh oh, I don't know what's coming. <laughs> we can always edit it out. Right. Um, <laughs> you are such a bright and shiny light, you know, and you always have been like oh. from the second you landed, you know, you have just been this sparkly, like, you know, oh. you picture like, you know, rainbows and, and, um, <laughs> stars and, you know, you've always been that way. Like some, you know, you just landed in the world like that. So the fact that you, um, you have made this your life's work is such a, um, interesting and powerful, um, choice, you know, because you do bring a, a, a light and a brightness to a, to a dark place. And like you said, you don't bypass it. You like, I, I often think like I could call you and say, you know what? Like I, I had to like, um, murder someone. It just happened, you know, I, I, you know, and you would be like, you'd be like, okay, um, let's break this down. Right. And, you know, like you would not be judgmental. You would not be like, oh my God, I'm going to call the police. Like you, you might do that down the road, but you're not, you know, you've always been very welcoming and accepting and you've always provided a safe space. Oh, so, thank you. That's, so, that's I huge. Think, oh my God. 100% you know, and you have had a tremendous impact on, you know, my life and on the lives of everyone around you. And to be able to take this into a, um, a public forum, I think, 
I, I'm super proud of you. And it's, oh, it's amazing. And it just to see, you know, bright, shiny, like I, I I'm going to put, I'm going to find those cards that you used to write me. Would you remember you would draw like the picture of the elephant and be yeah. like, Oh, I hope you're having a great day. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I was very into stationery. <laughs> <laughs> stationery and stickers. Um, no, I still am. Look, this is a whole, <laughs> this is all stickers. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love it. So anyway, I, you know, I, I think your approach is unique because of who you are, you know, oh, thank and you. I think even in the, in the midst of everything you've studied and all the data and all the science and all the, you know, I feel like, especially in the academic world, you know, you've had to claw and fight and, you know, to be understood and heard. And you still are this bright, shiny light at the end of all of it. So, Oh, thank you. That's I'm going to cry. That means a lot. It, that feels like a, such a nice like reset because yeah, that's, that's huge. I, I do think that's true. Like, I think I did this like thing where you're, you know, some random thing at a retreat where someone was asking about like getting in touch with your soul, yeah. like who you are at the center. And it was very sparkly, like it is <laughs> glitter. And like, and I don't mean that because I, I like want to be, I mean, I think I do want to be, but it's also like, I think that's just true. Yeah. It's like an essence. It's like a, it's like a, you know, yeah. I and you didn't all... really come from that. And, you know, so it's a kind of, it's kind of fascinating, <laughs> you know? Yeah, totally. Well, and it's interesting I mean, too, because like in, in the academic world, I felt really, I have felt really dimmed. Like they, nothing about that was okay, except with my students, you know, you could be right. That's, that's what makes you good in the classroom. If you're interesting and sparkly and they have something to be like to kind of like attached to, you know, but in, in other spaces that was super not allowed. And I rode with that for a long time and tried to make myself gray, you know? Right. It was oppressive. Yeah. It's a cult. Yeah. Tried to make yourself gray, but you, you couldn't. I couldn't. I, I mean, listen, yeah. I did a really good job. Yeah, but you were it successful. Almost, it almost killed me. Like, <laughs> right, right. Because it's, so this it's book, so crushing. Yeah. This book and this experience and this, where you are now mm -hmm. is exactly who you are. So th there's mm -hmm. an authenticity that comes through and a, um, in your work. And, mm -hmm. and, and this book is a result of that. So oh, I love it's, that. It's, it's super exciting. Yeah. It is exciting. I think the client stories were my favorite to write. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can, there's so much like rich terrain, you know, in my story and other people's stories, when you can pull that out and put it on paper, it's so healing. That's what helps people. That's what helps other people. Because you ultimately. recognize yourself. Yeah. And yeah. everyone thinks they're alone in their, in their mm -hmm. suffering and they're not. No. You know? William Styron wrote this book. Well, it was actually a Vanity Fair long form article. And then it, they turned it into a book called Darkness Visible, which is about his um, his fight with depression and anxiety, it is beautiful and stunning. And it was, I think, you know, it came out in a time when we were very much not talking about mental health and he was a very successful writer. So for him to come out and talk about it was a big deal. And he's since died, but his daughter still gets like pulled aside on the street and said like, your, your dad's book saved my life because I saw myself in it and I understood wow. myself. And I also then can see the arc of like, 
here's your next step and here's what to do and here's where you might stumble and that's okay too. It's part of the process, you know? Right. right. I think that kind of memoir writing is so important. I started um, the Prince Harry yeah. thing and I am obsessed. Tell me. What do you think? It's like 97 hours long. And so I'm like it is halfway long. through, but it's been like three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just think that uh, there's so many things that I, that I have, you know, it is not okay the way we treat people in the public eye at all. Ugh. And it's not okay for adults. It's not okay when we're talking about the Kardashians and it's mm-hmm. not okay when we're talking about people who have like, accidentally launch them into the public eye, but it is especially not okay when we're talking about children who were born into a system they had no control over. Right. And people are out here making up lies, telling yeah. stories that are not their own, like, yeah. and literally like chasing, like they're hunted. People are, hunted. people are being hunted yeah. by the press. And it's, it's shocking to me that we allow it. I know it's, it's like the whole, like, this is a very like stupid comparison, but, (laughs) but I'm going to make it anyway. Are you going to talk about Tom Sandoval? (laughs) Oh God. I'm obsessed with that. But, um, I don't even watch that show, but of course I watched it like last night. I'm like, I think I need to get back into this, which I have watched every episode of every season. (laughs) You have, I dropped it after a while. Um, no, this is stupid, but like, um, Ben Affleck was like g- stuck in a parking spot and couldn't get out. Like someone blocked him in on both yeah. sides and the whole, the TMZ is out there like filming him, like, like trying to get out of a parking spot and then being frustrated and getting out of the- He didn't do anything wrong. He just was stuck in a parking spot, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. but there are people that are hunting him yep. and following him around and waiting for stupid shit yep. like that to happen. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. And like, why, TMZ needs to be like obliterated. Like Mm -hmm. why is, why do we do this? Mm -hmm. You know, all of it, all of it. Why is this entertaining? Who cares? It's so like, imagine how, what that would do to the way that you feel in your life and in your body. If you knew there were people outside of your house right now waiting, I wouldn't leave my house. No. And I, you, I, you, I would unravel like, right. Right. That, that is, you, you know, uh, yeah. Wild. But, I'm sorry. Good. The Prince Harry thing. Like you're right. He was, he didn't sign up for it. He was born mm-hmm. into it. He mm-hmm. was a child and his mother was hunted and killed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you come back from that? Right. Hunted. And then, but the thing, the thing, and I've been like, I have it, I'm listening to it, which by the way, I love because he reads it and he has such a beautiful voice, but it's also yeah. like, it's his story. So him telling right. it is so powerful. And I like doubled over at one point I was like cleaning the kitchen and he was talking about the, so the book is called spare Mm -hmm. and this term, this is going to be a tiny spoiler. This comes very early in the book, but if you want to listen to it to yourself, just, you know, go 30 seconds ahead. Um, He talks about how he, you know, he was called kind of lovingly, jokingly the spare because he is the spare parts for if his brother needs a kidney, needs blood transfusion, um, needs Mm -hmm. any literal spare parts. And also he's the spare heir. And so Mm -hmm. he was from a tiny age by his own family nicknamed the spare. And this, Mm -hmm. this, they do it in this way where it's like, 
oh, but like, this is just a royal thing and everyone does this and his grandmother and his dad call him that and all this stuff. And I was, I didn't know that. I didn't know that term until he said that. And I like doubled over because I was like, holy shit. Like talk about how, you know, we are composed of stories, obviously that we live, but we're also composed of stories that other people tell. And I think so many traumas get buried in our childhood by stories that are told about us before we have the agency to tell our own. Yeah. Because those definitions and those stories write themselves into our biology. Yep. And so you are told that you are literally less than, you are literally spare parts. Your purpose on this earth is to be like a pile of, you know, possible organs. Organs, right. And <laughs> and and you're also told in a way that's like, ha, ha, ha. Exactly. Know, like, so it gets pasted over and you don't notice right. that that's harming for your mental health or your conception of self or your identity or anything because you don't, you're not given the like autonomy to be like, wait a second. I don't know that I want right. that nickname. I right. don't know that I want to be referred to that way. Right. It's How many of us have these buried little things from our childhood about... Right. Being defined as something before we even are old enough to really exist. Right. And then how does that shape the way you see yourself in the world and how you behave? And it's just wild. I know. And people criticize him for doing it, but like, listen, I, I, I'm grateful. Fuck that. Fuck it. (laughs) You're allowed to tell your story. Yeah. And I'm glad he did. Yes. A hundred percent. That's something that needs to be kind of brought out into the light. This is what this looks like. Right. We all thought we knew the story. We didn't know the story. No, you do not know. But what was the show on? um, It's the MTV or VH1 where it was like, here's a story of Britney Spears. And the person would be like on the camera and they'd be like, you think you know my story? No, it was like, but you have no idea. And then it would be like revealing of what was actually going on in their lives. Oh, I don't know. You think you know me, but you have no idea. Yeah. We all need to be kinder to each other. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I also, just to get back to the book for a second, I love the little Mm -hmm. exercises Mm -hmm. because I love the idea that this is not something to Mm -hmm. be got. You can't just get over it. And and here are these little tools that if you're having a bad day, you're having a bad week, you're having a bad month, you can Mm -hmm. like start practicing this. Yeah, totally. You know what I mean? It's so accessible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's really on purpose because the, you know, when I was, when I was doing my own work and when I was trying to work with other people, like helping other people, it was like, okay, there's these exercises out here, but what are you, what's actually reasonable? And what's actually right. going to work, right. you know? So, okay, I get the concept behind this exercise, but that's too big of a jump for somebody. So how can we build a bridge and build something mm-hmm. that you can put and and really institute into your schedule so that you can reliably do it and then actually feel the impact? Because a lot of the right. stuff that we're doing is rewiring our brains. And that that's right. not, you can't just like do a worksheet and like you're done, you know? Right. Or go talk about it or, you know, right. So people think like, even in some of the letters we've got, okay, like I've revealed this big thing and Mm -hmm. now I'm not better. So, right. Right. So what the hell? Yeah. Right. It's a process. It's a journey. It's, it's, you know, you have to keep learning. You have to keep trying. You have to keep Mm -hmm. flexing the muscle, you know? 
Yeah. And it's a path that you don't get. All you get is the, the step right in front of you. The path right. doesn't reveal itself. So you, you just take the one step and then you take the one step and then you take the one step and you turn a corner and then you end up somewhere you didn't think you're going to be. And then you look back and you're like, Oh, wow. I can't, right. I wish we could do that with more grace instead of being like, oh, I can't believe I haven't healed yet. And I have a feeling, oh my God, it's the worst thing ever. Like, instead of being like that, could you look back and say like, holy shit, I used to be hyperventilating in the hallway at work. I now I, know. I hyperventilate, you know, only once a year. <laughs> right. At home where no one right. sees me. Yeah. <laughs> it's progress. Right. It's right? so much progress. It's celebrating the little things. It's, um, it's Those taking this big, huge, huge topic yeah. and making it doable and accessible and approachable. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you yeah. did a good job, kid. Thank you. I'm working, <laughs> I'm working on two, um, two new, uh, pitches for the next two books. And one of them is on, is on triggers. And the other one is on tiny little joys because it is about those little things, you know? Yeah. How can we, how can we build a bridge? And, and, you know, to the point we were talking about earlier about finding hope in the darkness, that light that you find in the dark places is so fucking shiny. It's like, like better. Those, it's better. Yeah. It's better. Yeah. It's more valuable. Yeah. It is shiny. It, yeah. It's, um, I don't know the right words to describe it, but I know what you're saying. Yeah, I'm picturing like a cave and like, there's like a little tiny gold thing. Yeah. And, you're, and it like illuminates that whole giant dark space. And you're like, right. holy shit. Like, right. The power of that is stunning. It is. I love it. So, order the book. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Unbroken. The trauma response is never wrong. It's available at your favorite indie. It's available on Amazon. You can get a Kindle version, a paperback version, or an audiobook. And I recorded the audiobook. So, if you like it when the author reads the book, that is, uh, that's possible. So if you can also, leave a review, if you read it, that's hugely helpful. Amazon reviews are how books get, get, keep going. So if you read it and you like it, um, leave a review. Okay. Also your Instagram is a great, like way to find out what's going on with you. And Oh yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, my Instagram is just mc.phd. Um, so come follow me if you're not already. Tuesday, little, the big day. Tuesday. Yep. Well, this will come out on the day. So today. Oh, today. <laughs> <laughs> Go order it. Do you have a tiny little joy? Do I have a tiny little joy? Um, yeah, I think, I don't know if I've talked about this. Probably. My. <laughs> so I went down non-parel, like rabbit oh, hole. Oh, yep. I decided I had to get nine Perels because Bethany Frankel like had it on one of her like reels and she was eating them. And I was like, Oh my God, I forgot about those. Those look so good. So I decided I had to have them. Couldn't find them anywhere. I finally found them um, a Valentine non-Perel thing. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. So bought like a bag of them, enjoyed <laughs> them. And then the, I went back to the same store and they were on sale after Valentine's day, 50% off. So I bought another two bags oh, of them. Nice. But Perfect. the thing about these, which like made me laugh out loud every single time is they had the, the little white dots on the top were dyed like red and hot pink. Mm -hmm. And that color would be like in my mouth, on my lips, on my toothbrush, on the pillow. <laughs> like, it, I don't know what red dye is made out of, but it's frightening. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Chemical. 
yeah, exactly. In the way that it like stayed with me after the fact. And I got to the point where it was almost like too much. And so I probably won't have not pearls for a very long time, but they did um, provide me the hit that I needed at that time. I I am a true believer in that you should have chocolate every single day. Uh, A thousand percent. Yes. Twice a day. Hell of high water. I'm having (laughs) chocolate. Yeah. I don't care what's happening. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Absolutely. I love that. So that Non-prels was, are just those little chocolate things with the little like dots on the top. If you don't know, which are just like sugar things, right? Yeah, sugar balls, sprinkles. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that. There's something so yeah. like uh, satisfying about the ta- like the tactile thing of non-prels because they're like that's crunchy. what Bethany Frankel was doing. Just she's like, I like the snap, you know, crunch, 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 crunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I was there. I did it. I. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I dyed everything like that wasn't nailed down and now I'm done for now, but you, you, now on to the next to joy. The, the white ones. Yeah. On to the next joy. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Um, this one's funny. I started watching this show um, called The Detectress. Oh. Which is yeah. this like, so yeah. What do you think that that's about? Like when I say that. The lady detective. <laughs> lady detective. Yeah. No, it's about it's BBC show. There's three seasons of it. And it's about these two guys who are hobbyist metal detectorists. Like they so they walk oh. around with these metal detectors. It's not a real like thing. on the it's beach. Just, yeah, yeah. But they're in like okay, you know, in the UK in the rain and you know, in these big farm fields or whatever. And it is um it's a BBC show. They're 30 minutes long. The characters are hilarious. There's all these weird little inside jokes. It is so delightful. Oh, nice. So delightful. The detectorist. And it's just like written in this way. I'm going to be sad when it's over. I've crashed through three, two seasons and there's only three. And I don't know if it's going to get, you know, re-upped or anything. It could be old. I don't even know what it, okay. you know, when it came from, but um, it's just, I have trouble like winding down, stopping work. And I've been trying to like actually stop work. And so that's my like thing to relax, you know, to yeah. kind of like wind down, down and it's uh amazing. It's is it on like a BBC app or where do you find it? Um it's on Amazon. Oh okay. But yeah. So you have like Amazon Prime has the BBC network thing or whatever. So detect okay. Detectorists. Okay. I want to check it out. I I love like a little half an hour like thing like that. I know. You know, that's like my attention span is like 30 minutes. <laughs> well, and it's so nice to like, just have that and not have to plug into like a, you know, 90 minute roller coaster. Right. right. Where you're like, have to cover your eyes and like, yeah. Yeah. Like that David Tennant show that we watched when you were here. Which one was that? It was like four episodes long and we watched the entire oh, thing. Oh, Stanley Tucci? Yeah. Yeah, that was good. I have no idea what it was called. Like a something man it was so good inside man inside man good job yeah he's the best stanley tucci yeah i love him he used to take the subway with he lived in my neighborhood in new york so i used to be like on really? the subway with him yeah he um just there's a cookbook that someone brought in i think it's new fairly new but it's like the beginning of it is his story and it's just uh, he's so delightful he's so delightful that. yeah mm-hmm. okay um all right Rate, book review, subscribe. Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. Go buy the book. Rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. Tell a friend about it. Um, send us letters at thetraumatapes at gmail.com and we will feature your letter. Thank you. Thanks for listening.